0: Just as Amanda said, we share these stories and we share these photographs that are in your bulletin today with the hope that they will provide a way for you to connect with this community that we love so dearly. The F word. During our delegations to El Salvador, we often invoke the F word. Flexibility, we've learned, is an essential ingredient when building cross cultural connections. However, after reading Brene Brown's books, I'm wondering if we might want to expand our vocabulary to include the V word vulnerability. Brene Brown is a research professor at the University of Houston, and she uses the phrase wholehearted living to describe being fully alive, authentic, and vulnerable. As I read her books, I kept thinking about our relationship with El Rodeo. It's a relationship that embodies our mission— to create a more just and loving world, a relationship that opens our hearts to vulnerability. West has a long, rich history of solidarity with the people of El Salvador. Our connection with their struggle for fairness and equality began with the sanctuary movement during the 1980s and continued with delegations and community development projects. Why the affinity with El Salvador when there are so many other broken places in the world? The brutal Salvadoran Civil War lasted 12 long years. Ironically, when Salvadorans sought refuge from that bruta- brutality, from the U.S.-trained military Salvadoran military death squads, many of those people fled their homeland and came to Houston, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. By the time the peace accords were signed in 1992... The Salvadoran countryside had been destroyed, bombed, and burned to the ground. The ravages of war, magnified by structural injustice and inequality, fueled an exodus from El Salvador that continues to this day. As a result, the DC metro area is home to one of the three largest concentrations of Salvadorans in the United States. They are us. They are our neighbors and our co-workers, our children's soccer coaches, and today our guest musician. They are people who fled their homeland, left all they knew and loved. And often because of the threat of death or the unbearable look of hunger in their children's eyes. Our Salvadoran brothers and sisters are here, and they are us. We were pulled by the call of justice to go to El Salvador to understand the root causes of their migration and the role our country played in their flight. And so began our delegations to El Salvador. Once our feet touched the blood-stained soil, our hearts were broken. And we made the commitment to leverage our privilege and resources to bridge the justice gap. For seven years, we sent delegations to numerous different communities. We learned so much, and we did good work. But we longed for a deeper connection. So, in 2010, we established a sister community relationship with El Rodeo, committing ourselves long-term to one community. Using the community capacity-building process, together, we crafted a partnership agreement. In fact, you, you can see copies of the original agreement here in the front, and there's also a copy of it in your bulletin. And during that process, the community formulated a list of prioritized needs. Potable water was at the top of that list, and we got to work. Global Connections team member Julie Ferrer had identified low-tech but highly effective water filters, So, confident that the West community would support it, we suggested the water filters as a short-term solution. The West community quickly responded, and soon the water filters were delivered. The filters are great. They remove most contaminants, and with their use, the health of the community improved. So, to continue our journey in accompanying the community to obtain potable water, the following year, a water committee was formed to work on longer-term solutions. An action plan was written, things were beginning to move along, and then all hell broke loose. Community members were receiving death threats for speaking out against mining. The water committee never got off the ground. The Adesco. The elected village council rarely met or communicated with us. The community was destabilized. Death threats will do that. In the meantime, we sought advice from Ivan Viesboa, executive director of COCODA, a U.S.-based NGO with expertise in working with Salvadoran communities on water projects. Yvonne advised us to build a connection with ADIS, a Salvadoran NGO. The following summer, a connection was made. ADIS sent their water engineer to the community to do water flow tests. The community was tasked to schedule water quality tests. It didn't happen. One step forward, one step back. We'd hoped for more traction. We felt discouraged. Last June, when we arrived in El Rodeo, we were unsure of what to expect. However, when we met with the Adesco, we were blown away. As Elvis Zavala, that Lilo mentioned, meeting in May, the president of the village council, gave an update on water. Having heard about a rainwater collection project, Elvis attended a meeting, uninvited, and advocated for the inclusion of El Rodeo. He succeeded in getting rainwater collection tanks for the school and possibly for the houses at some future date. When we attended our annual meeting with ADAS, the Salvadoran NGO, We were absolutely stunned as they presented a proposal for a comprehensive water project. Leveraging our network of resources, we sent the proposal to Ivan and Paul Hicks at Catholic Relief Services in San Salvador for their review. Ivan is currently in El Salvador setting up meetings with Addis and Elvis and hopefully a resurrected water committee. We are eagerly awaiting news from El Salvador. Through community capacity building, Elvis felt empowered to attend that meeting and advocate for his community, whether he had been invited or not. The West's connection with El Rodeo motivated Ades to develop a water proposal. Though the process is slow, El Rodeo is closer to having potable water than they were four years ago. Connections, working together to bridge the justice gap. The people of El Rodeo live in extreme poverty, experiencing their struggles, sitting face to face with their lived realities of structural inequality. It breaks your heart. It elicits feelings of pain and shame and vulnerability, those feelings we tend to avoid at all costs. However, Brene Brown's research indicates that those who live wholeheartedly embrace vulnerability, lean into the pain. This work is hard. Its value isn't simply measured by clean water. Its value is also in doing the work wholeheartedly with courage and compassion, forming connections which give strength and sustenance. Wholehearted living, with its requisite vulnerability, is, I think, Another way to describe eliciting the best. I am most capable of eliciting your best and therefore my own when I open my heart to your pain. I love Brene Brown's definition of faith as a place of mystery where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. We place our faith in human goodness. Our journey with El Rodeo will be messy, as all relationships are. We will undoubtedly stumble and bumble and make mistakes. And when we do, we will draw upon our ethical culture faith to remind us to open our hearts, listen deeply and humbly, and seek to understand. In the words of poet Adrian Rich, My heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot With those who age after age, perversely, with no extraordinary power, reconstitute the world. In the book Blessed Unrest, Paul Hawken describes a growing, decentralized movement of more than a million organizations reimagining the world. Through environmental activism, social justice initiatives, and indigenous resistance to globalization. It is a quiet revolution, being carried out all over the globe. When this growing force reaches the tipping point, its life-giving, justice-seeking values, he declares, will transform the world. I, for one, find great joy in imagining us as one cell of that growing body of transformative energy nibbling away at structural injustice and inequality.
1: Hi, I'm Susan and I'm an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. I formed the West Dental Delegations to El Salvador about 10 years ago when my oldest son, Tal, along with Pam's and Jack's son, Thomas, and Peggy and uh, Richard's son, uh, Will, uh, participated in the very first West Delegation to El Salvador following their coming of age year. I started with only an idea and developed into a way of being with people and providing oral health care to people whose lives are so different from my own. Providing dental care in a rural setting is interesting. (laughs) It's out of doors. It's hot. It's humid. There are flies. Swarms of ants all of a sudden approach. And the dental unit is a little quirky. But it works. As Peggy mentioned, Brene Brown speaks about life's challenges in her book, The Gift of Imperfection. She speaks of wholehearted living as meaning engaging our lives from a place of worthiness. She speaks of men and women who live wholeheartedly by being deliberate in their thoughts and actions. Our work in El Rodeo is based on community capacity building, defined as activities, resources, and support that strengthen the skills and abilities of people and community groups to take effective action. I think this is definitely wholehearted way of being for the West delegation and the El Rodeo community. A particular example of this comes to mind when I tell you the story of Cesar. Cesar is a young gay man who is out in the community. As you may suspect, being gay and out in our small community is hard, and Cesar has suffered physical attacks, verbal abuse, and at times he has longed to run away and come to the U.S. for asylum. On several occasions, he has directly asked help from the West delegation. He made really strong ties with some of the youth that had uh, come to El Salvador, and on several occasions he said how scared he was, how he heard noises outside of his home, how he was scared for his life, how he was choked, and how he was beaten up we had a strong fear that he might be killed. Sean Taft Morales, a member of our delegation, felt that his safety was dependent on coming out to the community and seeking safety. But as Westerners, we sprung into action. We thought we were going to try to find a way for him safely to come to the U.S., try to find a sponsor, try to get him asylum. Interestingly enough, This was really opposed to our goals for community capacity building. That is, not intervening in the community's self-determination, not putting Western monies and solutions to a different culture. This became a tipping point for us when the Odesco found out about our uh, actions. The young lady here, Maricela, who was the president of the Odesco at that time, wrote us a letter, and I'm going to quote from it. When you all came to the community, I as a community member and part of the ADESCO always have had a very clear the objective and the reason for the sistering of WES and our community, and I continue to be clear about that and in total agreement. For that reason, I dare to write this letter without wanting to hinder in any way the process that has been initiated. In some way, and in a direct way, I have known about the problems of César, He is my neighbor. He is going through a situation that is shameful and lamentable for the community, and I feel badly about this, and I have always given him my solidarity and moral support. I don't know exactly how Cesar has directed himself to you all about this problem. However, I would like to write to you all about what I think and consider in a very humble way and as a person that knows and understands our sister relationship. I do not like what is happening, and the things like this will probably continue to happen in our community and in our country, but I also think there exist other ways to help and support that could work. What I think about this situation is that if you help Cesar in this way now, tomorrow there will be another situation, and you will have to respond to that also, because everybody has some need, and unfortunately, this is our reality. That doesn't mean we are resigned to it and we cannot deny help to one another if they ask for it, but because, as Chilo and Fausto and now Caesar need help, in the future others will come forward. I am not saying that the needs they manifest are not real. They are, and I know they are, but there are also things that provoke these situations, and to resolve them in an individual way is not the duty or reason for the West community sister relationship. Wow, she was right. We tried an age old method of trying to save one person, not thinking about the environment, the family, or the community. We're supposed to be there for the long haul to support our sister community. We then redirected our energy to get Cesar help in his community, especially with COCOSI, which is an organization educating both youth and adults about HIV, AIDS, sexual reproductive rights, and gender based violence. So Cesar has always been very interested in dental work, and he asked to help out as an assistant. We trained him, we gave him in- information about sterilizing, holding the light, suctioning, etc. He was fantastic. Towards the end of our stay, the year before last, I asked for his help. I said, you know, coming down and doing dental work once a year is, is pretty good, but can you imagine if there was another time six months down where you could have new profies putting fluoride varnish and giving new toothbrushes to the children and the community? I asked for Cesar's help. I set him up with a set of gloves and masks and fluoride varnish and toothbrushes, and six months after we left, he opened a dental clinic for the kids in the community. He provided profies, toothbrush profies. He provided fluoride varnish for the kids, which helps prevent cavities, and he gave new toothbrushes to all the kids. He was now being accepted in the community in a different way, despite all of the difficulties he had had. Finally, I like to say that when I go to El Salvador, I never get sick, <laughs> except last year. <laughs> I was laid out for two whole days I didn't feel very helpful at all. But Justin Morales, one of the delegates from the West community, and Cesar kept the clinic going. They couldn't do any fillings or extractions, but they sure could do prophes, exams, and handing out fluoride varnish and toothbrush and toothpaste. So Cesar has become a part of the community in a very different way without our bringing him to the US.
2: Hello. My name is Bill Delalio. I went uh, to El Salvador with the delegation this past summer. It was my first trip to Central America. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It added new focus to my efforts to try to live meaningfully, and it started me on a pathway that took me from the jungles of El Salvador to this platform this morning talking to you, As a new member of the Washington Ethical Society community, that trip taught me powerful lessons about fairness and forgiveness, compassion, commitment, and courage. And all I'd been looking for was to learn something, to help a little, and to make amends. Now, you may be thinking amends, who is that guy? What did he do? (laughs) I didn't do anything. See, that's exactly why I owe amends to the people of El Salvador. I didn't do anything while my country was sponsoring atrocities there for 12 years. Recognizing the cost of my own insensibility and inaction felt like a wound that could never heal once I saw what had been going on. But I found a way to start getting involved in 2012. When the Global Connections delegation returned that year, I watched the historic memory interview videos that Julie Ferrer had made of uh, community members uh, to help our community and their community get to know each other better on a person-to-person level. The stories that came out were horrifying beyond belief. More than that... It was clear that the wounds, the emotional wounds the people had suffered during those years had never healed. While they were talking, the faces of the uh, interviewees were racked with fear and pain and horror as if they were talking about something that had happened yesterday or still was happening today rather than 20 years ago. And then I discovered that problems like Insomnia and nightmares and pain from bullet wounds that had healed decades ago were common in the community. Almost everybody in El Rodeo, and most of the people in El Salvador, it would seem to, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. One of the people Julie interviewed asked if the delegation, when it returned this past summer, would bring along with them someone who knew how to help people stop having nightmares, a psychologist. That was my summons. I'm a clinical psychologist. I had to go. You can see it had real power for me to see an opportunity to maybe be of help. So not clear exactly how we do it. I packed up my psychology materials and went with an open agenda. If all there was to do in you know, the community capacity building model, you know, you join as equals. If all there was for me to do was to weed cornfields, then I'd weed cornfields. But as I was thinking about how this would all work, I began to hear the words of my fellow delegates, the more seasoned ones, uh, with some additional understanding. They had said, progress in El Salvador happens in a way that's messy, certainly isn't linear. (laughs) And though there are tangible results like the water filters, every house has a water filter now, most of what gets done that's really important you could never measure or quantify. I put my faith in the goodness and caring of my teammates and the power of just doing the next right thing over and over again, packed my bag and got on an airplane, when I got to El Rodeo, I heard there was a young woman from the village studying psychology. Her name was Mary. She'd been born in a refugee camp during the war and wanted to learn how to treat people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Well There's a perfect match. So I went to look for her, day after day after day, and she was no place to be found. That's how it is. She was several hours down the road, you know, doing her studies and doing work. So I weeded cornfields, and I carried water, and I made new friends. One of them, Chileo, who had been a leader of the guerrilla forces. uh, So I was having trouble with the mountainous paths. He cut me a wonderful walking stick. In turn, I taught him techniques to ease the pain he was still having from a hand grenade that had gone off near him nearly 20 years before. There was no physical reason the memories were still there, though. Word got out of what I'd done, and I was asked if I'd mind giving an open workshop on PTSD, relaxation techniques, and (laughs) self-hypnosis. I didn't mind. (laughs) All of the delegates and many people from the community came. One of our wonderful college students in the group, Maya Taft-Morales, did simultaneous translation as I talked. We did deep relaxation exercises we shared in group hypnosis. It was wonderful. Everyone learned some self-soothing skills. Mary, the psychology student, arrived the next day, too late for the workshop, but eager to talk with me. We talked about everything from biofeedback to how psychology as a career seems to choose you rather than the other way around. She had lost a mother and a brother to the severe depressions that they suffered caused by the war. She needed to help others because she knew the pain that everyone was going through personally. Mary hadn't gotten much supervision in her training, but she was a born therapist It's wonderful. She understood what causes PTSD and how it can be treated, and that's critical. You see, PTSD develops when people are so flooded with fear and pain by a traumatic event that the memory of it gets stored as senses, not organized or encoded in language, It's the sounds and the colors and the smells and what you feel in your body that remains after a trauma. And those memories aren't related or tied to any point in time. So even though no, it's not real, people with PTSD, when they have a memory that gets activated, it feels as if it were actually happening all over again right then. The only way for it to be healed is for the person to learn how to calm themselves and soothe themselves when they're being overwhelmed by those terrible emotions, and then trigger flashback on purpose, which nobody would want to do unless they had somebody with them who had enough empathy and enough courage and enough skill to sit with them in that terrible darkness with them as they find their way back through and soothe themselves and relate the the memory to a different, uh, more manageable, time-oriented way of being. Even though she was only a student, Mary was already doing that work. She learned really well and really quickly and pushed me to teach her more. She said her clients needed too much for her to go slow. She was right. We talked the first day. The next morning she came and told me that she'd seen an emergency client that night, the sister of an environmental activist who'd been murdered a few days before. The woman had been mute and refused to eat or drink water for days in the days since the murder. Mary broke through the woman's catatonia and helped her begin to grieve using techniques I'd taught her. Knowing that I'd helped Mary grow as a healer, really, really helped me. The whole experience was marvelous. It seemed miraculous, but there were things even more profound than that coming. The PTSD healing story I'm going to tell you now moves me even more because it was the unexpected result of the ongoing work in building relationships between this community that our Global Connections Committee had done with the people of El Rodeo. Part of each delegation's time is set aside to learn and experience more about Salvadoran history. As part of that, Ross Wells and Peggy uh, were arranging for an educational trip for our group to El Mazote, the site of one of the most infamous massacres of the war. El Mazote had 927 residents. When a battalion, U.S. trained battalion of soldiers came into the village and left, there was only one person alive. When we talked, oh, over half of them were children and none of them were armed. As we talked about the trip, we realized what happened in El Mazote is what would have happened in El Rodeo if our sister community hadn't fought and fled the way they did. We decided to open the trip to everyone in the community rather than just have it for us. 27 of us went. 20 were members of the community. At the memorial, people were silent, caught in the pain of what had happened there. But as we left, many Parallel, deep conversations were struck up between community members and members of our delegation. Tila, she's in your program, was sitting next to me on the bus. She told me she'd become a guerrilla after the first attack on her town. And then she fought for several years but then stopped because she was five months pregnant. And while she and a group were leaving to find a place of safety traveling, they had been surrounded and ambushed. Her husband was killed. She was wounded three times. She told me at that point she felt like standing up in the gunfire to die. She told me that sometimes she still hears her dying husband calling for help. She told me that sometimes when she goes to sleep, the smell of blood and gunpowder fills the air. The reason she didn't stand up and let herself be taken was she wanted her baby to live. Remember Cesar, the dental assistant Susan just talked about, Teal is his mother. It was profound. I told her I wished to anything I could turn the clock back and prevent the harm my country had done. We wept together. She held my hand. And then she said, (laughs) Guillermo, no one can turn back the clock. But we won. We got what we fought for, freedom and education for our children and friends like you. In your community who are helping us build a better future for them? It wasn't until I got back to the U.S. that I realized what had actually happened on that trip. It was a powerful, powerful PTSD healing experience. We'd gone to El Mazote together. We had shared the pain and post-traumatic reactions that were triggered. Because of the trust and relationships that had been built over the years by the previous delegations, we were able to soothe each other and begin to put the past back into the past. We hadn't planned a therapeutic outing, it just ended up as one. (laughs) See, we kept doing the next right thing, and then it happened. And it was messy, and it wasn't linear, and the results would be impossible to quantify. But I'll tell you this, it was one of the most profound and potent healing experiences I've been involved in in 40 years as a psychologist. All those years of relationship building by the previous delegations, supported by you, I guess since I'm now a member, by us in this community, the compassion and commitment of my fellow team members and the courage and goodness of the people of El Rodeo made that possible. It was a beginning. Mary, the psychology student, and I still communicate. We were in communication this past week. Tila, Chileo, Cesar, and the rest know a delegation from West will be back again this coming summer. They look forward to it. We, we, are found family for them. They've met some of us. They'd like to meet more of us. As for me, I'm on the list to go back in 2014. Love put into action may be slower and less coldly efficient in getting things done than greed, hatred, and violence. But it's so much more powerful than they are. And what it accomplishes is enduring. That's the most important thing I think I learned in El Rodeo. And it's the reason I'm going back. That and how I'm in awe of my fellow delegates and their ability to put their love into action being with them fills me with joy, and I recognize that global connections is part of the, uh, the face, part of the expression of the Washington Ethical Society and what you, we, stand for. It's an honor to be a member, and I look forward to years of living wholeheartedly with you. Thank you.